Good morning. As many of you know, or probably all of you know, today is Valentine's Day. And hopefully that isn't a shock or a surprise uh, to very many of you husbands here this morning. Um, I will be watching, and I hope that I don't see anybody sneak out the back door and try to run to the store real quick to get some flowers or something. I won't be talking that long uh, this morning, so you don't have time to do that uh, while, while I'm talking today. But all across the United States, people are, uh, are spending uh, today with their loved one. All across uh, this country and the world, people are spending a tremendous amount of money on their sweetheart. Somewhere around $21.8 billion will be spent on Valentine's Day gifts in the United States. That's about $8.1 billion of jewelry and flowers and candy and all those sorts of things. But more than the, the gifts or the flowers that we might buy for, for someone that we uh, love or someone that we, that, that's special to us, it's a day that we often think about our relationships and, and, and love. Of course, it's become a commercialized day, uh, but it's never a bad thing to take time and think about and examine the relationships in our lives. Every Valentine's Day, I like to think about my relationship with my sweet wife, Angela. I was privileged enough to stand right here on this stage at 2 p.m. on September 26, 2009, and Angela K. Hutchison agreed to become my wife. And every time I talk about marriage or relationships and things, it's become a little bit of a running joke. Some people ask me when I talk about this, I, I give an update on this statistic. As of right now, 11.07, Sunday, February 14th, 2021, Angela and I have been married for 4,159 days. That's 900 are 99,813 hours that we have been married. And some of you are, are sitting here thinking, 11 years, that, that long, that, that, is, that is a long time. Y'all have been married for forever. And to others of you here, people that have been married for 30 or, or 40 or 50 or 60 years, you're thinking, that, that's not very long, Jeff. Y'all are just getting started. So, do those 11 years of marriage make me an expert on marriage? Do those nearly 100,000 hours of marriage mean that I'm an expert? Absolutely not. I don't have it all figured out. I make mistakes. I'm an imperfect person who makes an imperfect husband. But we do have an expert on the subject of relationships. We do have an expert on what it takes to have a successful relationship, have a successful marriage, and that is the Word of God. There are two great institutions that God established here on earth, and that's the church and that's the home. A Christian home is a blessing from God, and a Christian home begins with a godly relationship and a godly marriage that follows the design and the teachings that we find in the Word of God. Like I said, in those 100,000 hours of marriage, I don't have it all figured out. 
Of course, I've learned a lot of lessons along the way about marriage and relationships and being a godly husband. And I have a very blessed relationship in marriage with my wife. I have a great wife. I cherish our marriage and our relationship. But along the way, like I said, I've had to learn a lot of lessons. I've messed up a lot along the way. So this morning, I want to talk about some of those lessons that I've learned, some of the things that we should think about in our relationships and in our marriages. There are three or four things that I want to talk about this morning. The first of those things is primarily directed to you young people or you unmarried people here in our audience this morning. I had just turned 28 years old when I was married. I graduated from high school, went down to to College Station, and, and dated several girls along the way while I was there, but never decided to get too serious with any of them. And I'm glad that I did, because shortly after I moved back, Angela decided that I was irresistible to her, and we began dating. And a few years later, uh, we were married. And I'm not saying that you need to wait until you're in your late 20s to to get married. But I am saying that you should very seriously consider who you enter into relationships with. And especially consider those who you decide to make a commitment to marry. So many good, well-intentioned men and women have had their lives wrecked by making decisions that were wrong in who they decided to have a relationship with and who they decided to marry. Conversely, so many people have had their lives blessed and made so much better by the decisions that they made on who they would marry. A godly husband or a godly wife in a godly marriage is worth the wait. It's worth searching for and looking for and waiting for. A spouse that will help you in your walk with God will bless your home. They'll bless your relationship with God and that relationship will be one of the most valuable things in your life. Proverbs 12 and verse 4 says, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Proverbs 18 and verse 22 says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing. I've seen so many people think and say, you know what, I want to go ahead, I want to marry this person, and and despite what they're doing now, despite how they're living now, you know what, I can change him, or I can change her. When we get married, they'll they'll settle down, they'll be a different person, and, and things will be better once we're married. And a few years down the road, they're calling Tim or they're calling Sean because they're having problems in their relationships and in their marriage. Don't get into a relationship with someone just because you're lonely. Don't marry someone just because you you think that they're fun to be around. Don't marry someone who isn't the right person, who isn't a godly person. 
think long and hard and make wise decisions on who you will be in relationships with. The second lesson that, that I want for us to, to think about and remember in our relationships is that relationships, they require effort. I think that sometimes we watch too many romantic comedies or we watch love stories and we see the couple at the end of the movie, they end up all happy and, they, and, they, and my wife watches Hallmark movies all the time. And all of those movies are exactly the same, just with a little window dressing changed on them. And they always end up happy and, and they, they kiss right there at the end of the movie and the credits roll and everybody's happy and, and the music plays and everything's hunky-dory. And we watch things like that and we think that that's how life is supposed to be. All the problems are in their past and, and they're happy and smiling and that's how life is supposed to be, right? But the truth is, is that problems come up in relationships. Differences of opinion occur. Feelings get hurt from time to time. We are imperfect people, which leads to issues that must be worked through in any relationship. You know, it's your wedding day, and she's all dressed up in that pretty white dress, and, and he's in that fancy tuxedo, and everybody's smiling, and this, this is just the best day of your life. And then six months later or a year later, he left his dirty laundry on the floor and, and he's watching the, the, the ball game again. And, and all those things that he did when y'all were dating that you, you smiled at and you laughed off and you thought were cute, they've become annoying. Or she didn't have dinner ready when you thought it was supposed to be ready or she spent too much money at Walmart or at Target more than you had budgeted that month, and, and those little things build up, and we get bitter towards one another. And the next thing you know, an argument is broken out, and, and we begin to think, you know, this, this isn't how it was supposed to be. All you have to do is look at Paul's description of what love is and see that love requires effort. It requires work. Look at 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Verses 4 through 7. It says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Paul says that when you love someone, there are times where you're going to have to be patient. There are times that you're going to have to not be irritable and rude. There are times where you're going to have to say, I don't have to have it my way. There are going to be times where you will need to forgive your spouse. You're going to need to bear all things, endure all things. And I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but some of those things on that list are hard for me to do sometimes. Those are things that I have to work on and develop better and further. Things that I, are, that I struggle with, honestly, from time to time. 
And if I'm going to have to love, if I'm going to love my wife, I'm going to have to make the choice to do those things. I think that our problem is, is that we have an imperfect understanding of what love is. Of course, about a year ago, we did a series on the subject of love. Uh, over the course of that eight or nine uh, sermon series here at La Prada about a year ago, we went through 1 Corinthians 13 and we talked about all those sorts of things. And hopefully you remember the lessons that we learned during that series. But so often we think that love is a, is a feeling that's in your stomach and, and, and that butterflies in your stomach when you first see that pretty girl walk, walking down the street and you think, wow, she's she's beautiful and I can't wait to spend time with her and and that I'm infatuated with her and it's this this feeling that we have those sweaty palms and we think that when we get a few years into a relationship and we don't have those sweaty palms that something is wrong and something has changed and so often we take a worldly view of what love is instead of a biblical view of what love is you know what, we, we have this word love in the English language, and we talked about this during that, that series, but we have one word in the English language to describe different types of things that the, the, that the Greek language uses different words to describe love as. You know what, I, I say I love Mexican food, and I do, I love Mexican food. They just opened up this new Mexican food place at the corner of, of, uh, of Beltline, in Town East there in Sunnyvale. And I got excited when I saw that there was this new taco place there because I love Mexican food and I was excited to go get breakfast tacos there. And I could go back for lunch and get their lunch tacos and then a quesadilla at dinner. I love Mexican food, right? But I also tell my wife that I love her. And so is my love for Mexican food the same as my love for my wife? I hope not. You know, I mentioned that the Greek language uses different words to, des- to describe different things that we call love in English. There's the word eros, there's the word Philadelphia, there's the word agape. Eros is, is more of that physical attraction, that physical type love. Philadelphia, as we talked about, is brotherly love, the type of friendship love that we should have for one another. And then there is agape love that it talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. And the love that we're called to have in our relationships with our spouses is that third type of love, agape. Our love in our relationships with our spouses isn't selfish or shouldn't be selfish. It isn't what we get from the other person. And it isn't an emotional feeling Love is a choice that we make to sacrifice for the good of the other person. Ephesians 5 and verse 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together as the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Both husbands and wives are called to submit their own will and give themselves to the other person, to serve the other person. We submit to the other person. 
Wives, submit to yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, honor and nurture and care for your wives. We sacrifice ourselves to the other person. That is the love that we should have. After all, look at how Christ loved his bride, the church. If you looked back there in Ephesians 5, it talks about how Christ laid down his life and loved the church. Christ loved the church to the point that he laid down his own will and his own life for it. And who is the church? That's you and that's me. It's the saved. It's the called out. And he laid down his life for us, not when we deserved it, but when we were sinful and rebellious. When we did things that weren't very good, things that weren't very lovable, when we didn't deserve it. And if Christ would have looked at us, and if he would have took a view of love that the world takes, and many people take in their relationships and in their marriages, he might have looked at us and said, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve my love and my service. They don't do what I ask them to do. They haven't submitted to me. They haven't served me. So I'm not going to do that for them. A worldly view of love asks, what have you done for me? But instead, Christ took a godly view of what love is and he said, they need me. I love them. I want to help them. I want to serve them. I want to lay down my life for them. A godly view of love asks, what can I do for you? Christ loved us. And it required effort. It required work for him. It wasn't easy. He struggled and was in agony in in Gethsemane. He endured pain and ridicule on the cross. And he looked down from the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And that love that Christ had for us is the type of love that we're called to have in our marriages, for our husbands and for our wives. And that means that there are times that we will have to put forth effort, that we'll have to work for it. We'll have to struggle for it. We'll have to strive for it. We'll have to make the choice to love someone, even when they might not, be doing things that we think that they should. We'll have to endure, we'll have to bear, we'll have to forgive, and we'll have to grow. But you know why we do that? Because it's worth it. A godly Christian home is one of the closest things to heaven that we will ever experience here on earth. A Christian home is a treasure that should be sought for and protected and worked for. And they're a blessing from God. And one of the reasons that marriages are worth the effort is the third lesson that I want for us to remember. And it's that godly marriages will help you through this life. As we make our way through this life, there are going to be things that are going to be tough to deal with. Stress builds up. Jobs are lost. Medical diagnoses come back the way that we don't want them to. 
loved ones die, we stumble, we sin, we go through things in this life that are just hard to deal with sometimes. And it's especially tough to deal with if we're alone. But God created the family. He created marriage so that we don't have to make our way through this life alone. Think for a moment about when God created man. Why did God decide that he was going to create Eve for Adam? If you look back at Genesis 2, God looks down on Adam and he says that it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper meet for him. God said that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. He needed to make a a companion for him, someone that could be with him, someone that could help him. And what did he need help with? Did God create Adam to name all those animals or to help him work in the garden? I think that he needed help specifically for something more than that. God had just told Adam that he was going to need to dress and to keep the garden. He had told him that he wasn't supposed to eat of the knowledge of of good and evil. God had begun to outline to Adam how he was supposed to serve him. And then he goes on to say he doesn't need to be alone. He needs help doing this. He needs help serving me. And that is what I believe the primary responsibility of a husband to a wife is in a wife to a husband is, is to help their spouse in their service to God. A godly husband will nurture and care for his wife. He'll listen to her. He'll be a shoulder for her to cry on. He'll provide for her. He'll provide for his wife's physical and spiritual needs. He'll make sure that his house is actively involved in the services of the church. He'll provide spiritual direction and spiritual leadership to his home. And he'll forgive when forgiveness is needed. A godly wife will also nurture and care for her husband. She will submit herself to her husband. She'll provide a good home for her husband. She will provide for his emotional and physical needs. And she too will forgive when forgiveness is needed. And if the husband and the wife will do these things, it will help their spouse in their service to God. It will not only draw them closer to each other, but it will draw them closer to God. It will help each of them serve him better. There have been so many times in my life where I have been tried emotionally and physically And it would be so much harder for me to deal with those things if I didn't have my sweet wife. She's there to talk to, to listen to, to tell me when I'm wrong, which is often. She'll help me understand things in a way that I can't understand them as an imperfect man that I am. She's there to help me to to lean on. And I thank God that, I'm, that she's there for me. And that has helped me tremendously in my service to God. And that is what we are supposed to do for each other. Help each other serve God. Ecclesiastes 4 talks about a, how a three, four, threefold cord is not easily broken. 
We, are, as husbands and wives, should be bound together. But at this threefold cord includes God. And if our marriages will incorporate God into them, we will help each other and we will love each other and we will love God even better and greater. The last thing that I want for us to notice very quickly as we draw to a close here this morning, and this really applies to any aspect of our lives, but it's especially important in our marriages, in our homes, in our relationships, and it's that things work best when they are done God's way. The home and marriage was designed and it was ordained by God. He created it. He alone decides what it should look like. And he knows how to fix its problems. And unless we follow God's plan for our relationships and in our marriages, they will not work. Psalms, the 127th chapter in the first verse, says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. We run into problems in our homes and in our relationships. Marriages are in crisis and we wonder, how did we get into this situation? Those of us that have been involved in in studies with people or in marriage counseling and things like that, you'll talk to people and and often they'll say, I don't don't know how we got into this situation. Things happened and, and, and I don't know how we got here. And many times if we dig down to the root of the problem and look at what's causing the issue, it is always because one or both of the people in that relationship aren't following God's will for their lives and for their marriages. We get selfish. We stop communicating. We stop serving the other person. We go against God's will and we wonder why things aren't working out. Do you want to have a good home? Do you want to have good relationships? Do you want to have peaceful and happy times in your home? Then do what God says. And that's not to say there won't be troubles, there won't be trials. That's not to say there won't be difficult times. But if you want your home to function the way it's supposed to, do what God says. Jesus told a parable towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount about two people that built a home. Jesus tells the crowd about a, a story about this wise man, and he builds his house upon a rock. The man's smart enough to build his house on a stable foundation something that wasn't going to shift, something that wasn't going to change and move. He built his house on something solid, something that he could count on. And when the storms came and when the winds blew and the rain fell, the house stood strong because it was built on the rock. And Christ calls this man wise. Jesus also tells the story, a contrasting story about a foolish man. This man that builds his house upon the sand. And we don't know why this guy made the decision to build his house on on the sand. Maybe he got a good deal on the piece of land. Maybe he thought he was smart enough that he could construct a house on the sand. He he was maybe a smart architect or or he he could construct the house where he'd be strong enough and built deep enough. 
Maybe it was all that he had. I don't know. For whatever reason, this guy decides to build his house on the sand. And when the, when the storms came and the winds blew and the rain fell, the house crashed. And Christ said, great was the fall, the fall of it. Christ calls this man a fool. And for some of us, that is what our homes and our marriages might look like right now. He says that the wise man, the man who built his house on the rock, was like someone who heard what Jesus had been teaching. This is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says that the wise man is the man who heard, who heard and did what Jesus was saying. But not only someone that heard, but someone that obeyed. Someone that did what he had been teaching. Someone who did what God had told us in his word. The foolish man, the man that built his house on the sand, was just like the wise man. He faced the same storms. Both faced the storms, but the wise man heard and he obeyed what Jesus had been teaching. Both men heard, but only one obeyed. What are we building our relationships on? What are we building our marriages on? What are we building our homes on? Are we building them on our own selfish wills? Or are we building them on, on an obedient faith to the will and the word of God? If we will obey God's will, then it will improve every aspect and every facet of our lives. It will improve our relationships. It will improve our homes. It will improve our marriages. And when those storms of life come and beat on us and beat on our homes and beat on our relationships and beat on our marriages, we will stand strong. When we do what God says, when we obey his word, when we obey his will, our homes will be blessed. Amen. And his word says that we must submit to his will. And I pray that all of us here this morning are striving to submit ourselves to his will. And if we'll do that, we will have the abundant life that we're called to have and that we're promised in his word. And his word says that if you haven't, you should obey him and obey his gospel. You should allow your, your faith to move you to repent of your sins and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and submit to him in baptism. And perhaps you've never done that. Today is a wonderful day to do that. There's no better day than today to do it. Perhaps you'd like to do that today. We'd be happy to help you with that. Perhaps you are facing some of those storms of life and your homes or your relationships or your lives are being pounded by sin and Satan right now, and you feel like you need the prayers of the church, we'd be happy to do that also. If there's anything we can do for you, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.